0: What we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome into episode Cicenta y of the Two and a Half Mark podcast. My name is David Savin, and as always, I'm joined by my friend, singular, Angelo Inglisa, as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week and this week, it's just the two of us. It's me and Angelo. Jake is AWOL this week. Didn't actually get an explanation why no, he's we not want to record this week. He just said, hey guys, I can't record this week. And it's alright. Screw
1: you too, buddy. I guess you got better stuff to do. As far as we know, he could be recording another wrestling podcast yeah, right now. He could
0: be cheating on us. He might be on the Something to Wrestle With podcast with Bruce Pitcher
1: right now, for all we know. God, why turncoat? But they gave him. They gave him the money, and he just took it and run, and just left us hanging in the dust.
0: He's big timing us right now, as we speak. We are currently getting big time.
1: We need to go run interference on that podcast.
0: Oh shits! Yeah, I'm making a run in right now. But uh, it's just the two of us, and you know what? Big loss for him because we watched a show that's actually pretty good. I liked it almost all the way through. And this is, it's one of the first times I've ever said this about a WCW pay-per-view. We watched this week, WCW, Starcade 1996, a show that's notable on a couple of fronts. It is our first, I, I want to say our first show. We've had a lot of WCW, uh, like, late period, and a lot of, like, I think kind of early Very period. early. But this is one of the only times we kind of got it in the sweet spot. When WCW was actually really hot The NWO angle had not played itself out yet. They were doing killer business. They were really, really on the up and up at this point. And they put together a pretty good show. It's the first Starcade of the NWO era. And I have to say, we got some really good matches. I thought we had a couple of interesting angles on the show. We had some promos that made zero sense whatsoever. It was a nice big grab bag of some good wrestling, and I really honestly enjoyed myself.
1: I mean, I had a little bit of a lull in the middle there, and we'll get to why I kind of lulled out. And this is something that because I am someone that is less ensconced in the wrestling world, it was lost on me as a peasant. But this was a pretty fantastic pay-per-view. From top to bottom, you have very interesting matches. Like, I will say this. This is one of the few times we've had WCW where you look up and down the card, and there isn't an obvious bad match. Like, everything that you see on there has the potential to be interesting and good. And for the most part, it was. We got our first Roddy Piper actual wrestling match. Like, it was a real match. I think we've had some late-stage Roddy where he's just kind of, like, washed and not really there in full. We got uh, a Lex Luger match, surprisingly, that was, you know, it was a good Lex Luger match, which is just like an average normal match. I will ride to death for 96-97 Luger.
0: I will ride okay, good. to death I, for him.
1: I was ready to have to defend that take.
0: I love, th- this is my favorite period of Luger's career, 100%.
1: I'm almost certain it's this era that is why my dad is a big Luger guy.
0: Yes, Luger freaking kicked ass in the mid-90s, uh, and uh, to, to further that point, I want people to uh, look up uh, August 4th, 1997, Nitro. My favorite Nitro match of all time, Hollywood Hogan, Lex Luger, Lex pin uh, beats him clean with the torture rack to win the title. And it is sold like it is the single most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. The crowd goes apeshit. It's one of my favorite wrestling moments of all time.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't that happen early 90s WWF as well?
0: No. Lex never actually went over in 90s WWF.
1: They were building him
0: up really big throughout, like, 93, 94, and they never pulled the trigger on him.
1: Ah, the Braun Strowman experience.
0: Yeah, they really, like, it was post, like... Hogan was basically gone and they sort of picked Luger to kind of be the next Hogan or be that big white meat baby face that Vince wanted. Cause like Hogan was out. It was, basically out and like warrior hadn't worked out. Vince wanted a big Jack dude to be the super baby face and Luger didn't really get over to the level that they wanted him to. And then they just kind of tossed him. They were like, we're not, we're not doing this. Fuck you.
1: Uh, very uh, WWE WWF of them, but he went back to WCW
0: and he got over baby and it ruled. Uh, yeah, but I digress. I mean, we're we're going to talk more about Lex later. We've got a Lex match against uh the Giants later on in the show, which actually, I mean, that, that is the one match I feel like when you look at this card, you see Lex Luger versus the Giants, a.k.a. the big show, Paul White, and you're like, that's the match that probably is going to suck. And it, like... It doesn't suck that much.
1: Yeah, this was the Lex Luger and the giant. Oh, that's the imposter. That's the imposter. But no, it it was innocent, and there is uh, one imposter remaining.
0: Yeah. Um, Cutting Edge Among Us reference. Yes. Yeah, about what? About a year or so after people stopped playing that game? (laughs) Very good. I can't wait to see what Fortnite references you make tonight. (laughs) Uh, But it sounds like we're basically ready to to jump into things. So Angelo and Gleason, ready to remember some guys.
1: Let's remember some guys. Let's
0: remember some freaking guys already. So it is December 29th, 1996. We are at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, USA. Got a crowd of 9,030 listed in the arena. Uh, The first Starcade in the NWO era, but as they say in the opening video package, Roddy Piper walks alone against the New World Order tonight in the main event where he takes on Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Uh, Yeah, you know, it's like I said, it's the first Starcade in the NWO era, Starcade being the biggest uh, pay per view traditionally for WCW every year, and of course, that means they are headlining it with a non-title match. Hollywood Hogan is the WCW champion, but the title
1: is not on the line tonight. I mean, Starcade's a great name, but I actually didn't mind this as much for it not being a non-title match, just because you have two guys who are quite literally bigger than the sport itself. And I think that when you have two guys on that level, because Roddy, super freaking over, Hollywood Hogan, biggest heel in the business at this point in time. So even without a title, it is still a huge freaking match and worthy of a main event. Still,
0: I kind of on principle am against the idea that you headline your uh, biggest pay-per-view, which again, uh, that's traditionally what Starcade was supposed to be, that you headline it... uh, by a not like i you have to have the title on the line. What the fuck else are you saving it for Starcade, man? It's the big deal. It's the thing. You do the thing here. I I'm just against that on principle personally.
1: Now that's right. fine. Yeah. I th- I I think you're right, but also it it would be more damning if it wasn't if it didn't feel as big as it already was.
0: Yeah. They do it and hey, you know, it's still a good show. So I guess I can't bitch that much. But whatever. We're here at Starcade 96. We have got Tony Schiavone, Dusty Rhodes, and Bobby the Brain Heenan on the call. And at different times for a couple matches, Mike Tenet jumps in. And we have one match, the uh, women's title match, Lee Marshall jumps in on the call. Uh, Like we said, Hogan and Roddy in the main event. But we're starting off with something that is the complete opposite of this (laughs) match. It is... Ultimo Dragon versus Dean Malenko in a nine-belt title unification match. Dean Malenko is the WCW Cruiserweight (sighs) Champion. While uh, Ultimo Dragon, the Japanese legend, who's still going at it today, 25 years later, he's still wrestling (laughs) regularly in Dragon Gate, the promotion that he founded. Ah. Um, He is still wrestling there. um, And... Yeah, he's still going. At the time, he was the holder of a title that was called the J crown, which was a thing that it was it was represented by eight different title belts that had all been unified into the J crown. Um, And so the the eight, he walks out with eight belts. His manager, Sonny Ono's got a couple of them. The belts are all draped over him. Uh, the J-Crown consisted of, and I have it written down here, oh boy. The, IWG, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship from New Japan Pro Wrestling, the NWA Junior Heavyweight Belt, the NWA Historic Welterweight Belt, the Great Britain Light Heavyweight Title, the WWA Light Heavyweight Title, the UWA Light Heavyweight Title, the WWF Light Heavyweight Title, Light Heavyweight title which had been defended in Japan for that like period of time for like years. And the W.A.R. International Junior Heavyweight Championship. So those are the eight. Bel- and they and they just he individually has all these belts. Kenny Omega, so like, eat your heart out. There is like a great, cool picture of Ultimo Dragon with like all those belts at once that I've always wanted to get on a T-shirt. Um, but yeah, it's it's Ultimo Dragon with his eight belts. Dean Malenko with his one belt. The Iceman Dean Malenko means business tonight. Um, And this is a terrific, terrific match. It is pure technical wrestling from the beginning, from two real masters of the craft. Um, Malenko using all these crisp holds. uh, Ultimo Dragon, you know, doing a lot of the more hard-hitting offense, a lot of kicks and stuff. He's on top for a lot of this match. He slams him on the floor. Um, He does this cool spot where he, like, has Malenko on the outside, he runs over and teases a suicide dive, backflips off the middle rope back into the ring, and then immediately runs and then just does the suicide dive. So it's just like a completely unnecessary backflip. But it was cool, and I don't care. Um, like I said, a lot of holds back and forth. Malenko works the leg for a lot. Match eventually starts to really speed up and get some heat from the crowd. Uh, Malenko hits a power slam, hits a, a spinning heel kick into a power bomb. Hits a tombstone power driver, uh, pow, a pile driver for a near fall. Hits a, I loved this that double underhook power bomb that he took into a jackknife cover, which I thought was great uh, for a big two count. Dragon hits the Asai moonsault on the outside, uh, goes for a moonsault back into the ring, misses. Malenko puts on the clover leaf. Um, uh, uh, Sunny, I, I had Ono on my thing and I almost said Cassius Ono. <laughs> great. I wonder where he is. Where's Chris Hero at? I miss him. Um, Sonny Ono gets onto the apron to distract Malenko. Malenko releases the hold. Like a dummy, you should never do that. Uh, he releases the hold, almost gets rolled up and then Dragon hits a brain buster. We get this great finishing sequence with a ton of reversals back and forth and then Dragon slips behind him and hits the bridging Tiger suplex to win the match 18 minutes and 30 seconds. This match is as as a pure wrestling match is as good as it fucking gets. I thought it was tremendous.
1: Yeah, this was maybe my favorite match like on the entire card uh, outside the main event. But even if you include the main event, just the work that's done in the ring is second to none. It's incredible. They go with a great pace. And it's fascinating to see that this match... Whether it's by virtue of all the titles and a title versus a title match or just the guys involved, the crowd can kind of, like, help sell it. Like, they're just kind of, like, feeling the waters. This is a huge matchup between these two guys. Very fun. Uh, I love that fake-out spot even though it was kind of, like, senseless. It was just like, hey, this is a little bit of chicanery. But, like, that's all for the fans. That was still really cool. Um, I enjoyed the fact that the commentators did a little bit of history on Ultimate Dragon, who's a guy – again, he's uh, he's, uh, from Japan – Maybe a lot of people stateside don't know exactly who he is or what he is while you're watching. So it's cool to hear the commentators kind of fill that in and why, besides the look of Ultimo Dragon, why he still matters besides just, oh, he's a wrestler that looks cool. And that is the
0: invaluable service that Mike Tanay always brought to the WCW broadcasts because he was such like so incredibly knowledgeable, especially of the, the Japanese and the Mexican guys and knew all about them and about their whole careers and everything. And he had the ability to, you know, whenever they had those cruiserweight matches, they they have him with the Jushin Liger Ray Mysterio match, and he does a great job in the Jushin Liger match, getting, like, telling the story of who Jushin Liger is and why you should care about him beyond the fact of him, like, you know, because otherwise he's just going to kind of be treated as, like, the foreign heel. You know what I mean? Like, actually tell the story of Jushin Liger and who he is because the American fans are not going to know who Jushin Liger is, 99% of them. They've never watched him in Japan. Same thing with Ultimo Dragon. Um, tell the story of who they are and actually why they matter and why you should care about who he is and why he's here. And Tanei was so good at that. And that's why he was so
1: important. Like He's, he's great on this show. Excalibur kind of does that nowadays with the guys that they bring over in AEW. And I feel yeah. like, Dave, we have discovered what you can do with your needless talent of being able to recall every single guy that has ever existed in any sport. That's what you yeah. can do. I could just be – I would
0: love to just be Mike Tanay. Mike Tanay ruled. Mike Tanay is legitimately one of my favorite announcers of all time.
1: No, he, he's great because he comes in very sp- uh, sp- uh, like spontaneously. He's not like overdone. And for the most part, like, on commentary, it's just Shivani and Dusty going back and forth. And it's perfect because you can tune them out kind of quickly. And then if the match is kind of slow, it's like, all right, I want to tune back into Dusty and Shivani. What are they talking about? And you hear Dusty just going on in his drawl and it's just something insane. Shivani's laughing and it's just just perfect. Perfect yeah. on commentary. That's who yeah. – yeah. No, what were you saying? I, well, I was going to go back into the match. So if you have something to say on that commentary team, go ahead. Yeah, I mean I just – I actually really
0: loved that commentary team because it's like, obviously you have Heenan. He is the, the goat of all goats when it comes to the heel announcer. And I've talked about how I don't really like the concept of the heel announcer, but I feel like mostly that's because almost everyone else is just trying to be Bobby Heenan and failing at it. Mm -hmm. Um, and Heenan has a lot of history with a lot of these guys having called like Hogan matches for his entire career, basically. Um, so he's great. I love Shivani, but Shivani is the, is the, you know, one of the voices of professional wrestling, period. Tanay is great at what he does. And then the, the last guy is just, it's Dusty Rhodes. And it's like, you know, I don't, I, I don't understand what the fuck Dusty Rhodes is saying almost any of the time, but it's Dusty Rhodes, so it's fine.
1: Absolutely. I, again, love Dusty, and we'll talk about him more. Uh, pour one out for Jacob Long here. Yes. But... That tombstone just looked brutal. It was such a like good looking tombstone. I was a big fan of the cloverleaf and the roll up near fall. I was like, I was ready for the match end there, and it the didn't. I'm like, oh, they got me there. I just wish the ref count wasn't fast at the end there. That's kind of like nitpicking it a little bit because I would like to see just a normal kind of clean count from the official, not like this kind of rushed one, which is what I think every ref on WC- uh, on this pay per view did. Is like whenever it was the final fall, they kind of hurried it.
0: Yeah, I didn't really get that either. I I I noticed that as well. I mean, there was a lot of weird stuff going on with counts in the show, and a lot of it was intentional. I, I don't really know what the the deal is with that, but I noticed that as well. But this this is a specific match that has a special place in my heart, and because, you know, and I wish Jake was here. I expected him to be here. Uh, this is a match that Jake and I watched last... Uh, New Year's Day, New Year's Day 2020, or that like 2019 into 2020 at like one in the morning when we were like, it was, we we had been to a, there was like a family like and friends holiday party at his house in Martinsburg that I was invited to and for uh, New Year's for New Year's Eve. And it was like the end of the night. The only three people there left are me, Jake and Jake's like the girl he was seeing at the time, Ashley. And you might think that I'm being the third wheel there, and I'm not. She actually was the third wheel. Because <laughs> we were like, it's like one in the morning. I'm like trying to like wait long enough until I'm like sober enough to drive home. And it's like, yo, what do you want to do? Let's watch WCW matches. And we watched this match. And it's like, yeah, it's one o'clock in the morning. We watched the Ultimo Dragon D. Dean Malenko match. And we're just like, yeah, this match is just freaking blowing our minds. You know? <laughs> and it was awesome. Yeah.
1: To be a fly on the wall in that room.
0: Yeah. Uh, and so it's f- like me and him are losing our shit over this Ultimo Dragon match and his girlfriend is just like sitting there like, what the fuck is going on? And crazy.
1: three months later, COVID-19 happens and the world shuts down and we're still dealing with that fallout today. So yes. much fun.
0: I would like to say it's it's not Ultimo Dragon's fault that that happened, though. <laughs> I think we, sh- we should, we should uh, clarify but yeah, love this match. I, I thought this match is like, just as, as a pure wrestling match, is as good as it freaking gets. Truly, truly is. So, uh, next up, we go straight into the next match. It is another title match involving a imported Japanese star. It is a WCW women's title match. Uh, it's actually the inaugural WCW women's title is being uh given out and i feel like they don't push that enough no they did not it is the first time it's not only that like not only that it's a title match but it is like the inaugural title they barely talk about it it's really weird uh but it is uh akira Hokuto, legendary japanese wrestler a big star from all japan women's wrestling throughout the 90s uh coming out wearing resplendent white robes and a gas mask accompanied by sonny ono and her husband new japan star kensuke sasaki himself a wrestler that i also love and highly recommend all his work she is taking on medusa the former alundra blaze in wwf who uh, jumped to wcw uh, earlier that year um she is coming out dressed up in red white and blue as an American flag. Um, so it's Akira Hokuto and Medusa. Um, Hokuto is really on top most of this match, throwing her around by the hair, works her over with a bunch of submissions. Uh, they have this one thing where she puts her in a leg lock and starts biting her foot, which was kind of weird. Um, hits her with a nice bridging northern lights. Medusa hits sort of an awkward float over DDT. Um, then uh, Akira Hokuto reverses her into a bridging German suplex medusa comes off the ropes with another kind of awkward looking tornado ddt hits a powerbomb for a near fall uh hits a bridging german and then kudo comes back with a superplex goes on top goes up top for a top rope move but medusa drop kicks her out of the ring and then with the referee turned around sonny ono sneaks into the ring hits medusa with the american flag and then Hokuto uh, 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 comes back in with a missile drop kick, and then hits one of my favorite moves in pro wrestling—my finishing move that I use—the Northern Lights Bomb for a pinfall, and she wins the match in seven minutes and six
1: seconds. The inaugural WCW Women's Champion is Akira Hokuto. Now, Dave, this is the mid '90s, correct? Yes. I need. I, I also need to preface this that this is pure sarcasm and for farce. Uh And we had Ono hit Medusa with a weapon. Is this the first and only time in the 90s where a man hitting a woman with some kind of item did not get a pop from the crowd? I think it is. I think it's the only time between
0: like, you know, like in the 90s and, you know, till like 2007 where a man hit a woman and it didn't get over.
1: I mean, it was supposed to be heel work and that's what it was. Uh, this kind of this match reminded me a lot of like early AEW women's wrestling, where they didn't really have a deep roster, and like like the people that they did have outside of like Sheeta and Nyla Rose were pretty green, and just the matches weren't always great. But like they still presented them as like big deals. Like this was presented just like a normal wrestling match. This was presented like yeah. it would be today, and I think it mirrors today pretty well. Hakuto just looked like a million bucks walking out there, and and the Gear yes. too. She was billed... As a superstar, Medusa with the USA gear also billed as a top, top woman in this division. And like it felt like a big match. I wish they had played up the fact that it is the first women's title match uh, for the first championship a little bit more. But this was a very solid wrestling match. This was pretty fun. A lot of it looked pretty stiff. Uh, Shivani was kind of all over the place with his calls. He was calling a bulldog, a code red, uh, a little bit all over the map. But there's like a deep STF and a sharpshooter by Akira. And it just, there's a scary superplex with the legs and the ropes. Like, I did not like that when she went for the superplex with the legs on the inside of the ropes. I'm like, this can just end all sorts of bad. But overall, like, a pretty fun match. It told a good story. And, you know, it it, it has no right being this good this early, especially when you see what it becomes, like, what women's wrestling becomes in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah,
0: I I, I love watching Akira Hokuto wrestle and... Like, she's someone that I watch myself and, like, like when I want to, like, you know, like, watch people to, like, kind of try and emulate them, she's someone that I watch. I just love watching her wrestle. She's great. And um, even even in this match, she's really good. There, there are some kind of awkward spots, I think, more from Medusa than from her. Uh, by this point, I think she was – Akira Okuda was, a, like – a little past her prime. She had had some, some serious injuries, like, earlier on. In the early 90s, though, she was one of the greatest women's wrestlers of all time. Um, and I always like... I, I really like seeing uh, Sasaki with her. I got her husband in real life. Um, they actually... It's, like, kind of an in- interesting story or, like, an infamous story. They met on the famous... Um, like north korea tour that like antonio Inoki set up and they had people from wcw and new japan i think they did a dark side of the ring on it where they did a it was like the main event was rick flair versus Inoki, and they did this huge, it was called collision in korea it was like north it was, again it was like a bunch of japanese wrestlers people from new japan and like had wcw guys there and they did this tour of north korea where it's, like, a, a supposedly, like, the biggest uh, attendance of a wrestling show ever was, like, they had 100,000 people that were almost undoubtedly forced to be there by the North Korean government there for the, uh, the, the main show. But Akira Hokuto and Kensuke Sasaki met on that trip in North Korea, supposedly, like, fell in love at first sight, and then, like, that night that they first met, had sex that was so loud that they woke up like every single wrestler in the hotel. I'm not... <laughs> that is a story. Yeah, they just completely fell for each other instantly, and they're still together today. So it's a great love story that starts in North Korea.
1: Fun fact, this is also not the first time we've had uh, Kensuke Sasaki on the pod. Yeah, he's made one or two appearances. He, had, he was in a, a WCW show that we did, right? No, he was not.
0: Was he not?
1: You were in attendance for this show. He was on Kensuke the supercar. No, he wasn't. That's why I got on my spreadsheet. When
0: was Kensuke Sasaki at the G one? Su- I would have lost my shit if I he saw. Might, him. He G1
1: might have just Sasaki. been a manager, but I'm pretty sure that that's what my spreadsheet I says. Don't remember him being there.
0: I I genuinely do not remember Kensuke Sasaki being there, my dude. I don't think he was there. I
1: will double check.
0: I, I don't think he was there. I think that you. Uh, I think that you. You. I, I know. Oh, okay. For a no, fact, you're though, right. I, I'm. He has it was, been on because we did. He did a tag match with Scott Norton that we watched.
1: I assumed it was the supercard because I was like doing a quick look. Now that I've taken the time to slow down and actually look, it was the Matt, It was the one right after the supercard. So yes. that's where my confusion was. So there you go. It was Slambari yeah. ninety three.
0: Yes, and I'm pretty sure it was a tag match with Scott Norton, right?
1: Uh, I would have to look up e 93 to know that by I'm, it. That I'm sounds doing right. It.
0: I'm doing it right freaking now.
1: This is the content people want to hear.
0: No, he actually tagged with Dustin Rhodes. Right, uh, he, right, right, right. tagged with Dustin against Rick Rude and Paul Orndorff. Rest in peace. Uh, Yeah. All right, then. I barely remember that. I thought it was Scott Norton. Never mind. But, yeah. Uh, Akira Hakuto... With her uh, husband, Kensuke Sasaki in tow, wins the title. So, next up, we have... Okay, Angela, I I know you watched this too. What the fuck was Rowdy Roddy Piper talking about during this promo? Uh, You
1: know, I wish I could tell you, but he had a certain gravitas about him. He had this just aura surrounding him, so it didn't matter what he was saying. You were feeling it regardless. I don't know, (laughs) it's Rowdy Roddy Piper I think his gimmick at this point is that he's kind of insane
0: That was the thing about Rowdy Roddy Piper, was his delivery was so intense and like, so self-assured that like he would cut a promo and like you would think like, yeah, he cut a really good promo, and then you would like actually think about it and you're like, wait Did he say – what the fuck was he talking about? Like, Like you have the instinct that it was a good promo, but, like, I don't know what he was talking about.
1: I could not, like – I was going to, like, go into, like, a fake example of it, and I don't think I could. I could not sound nearly, like, a third or a fourth or a tenth as convincing as Rowdy Roddy Piper cutting this promo of nonsense. Like, you just just jumble some words together and throw it into, like, a Google thing that will say words for you, and it's kind of like that, except, like, with emotion.
0: Yeah, I, I, from what I gathered of this promo he was doing with me and Gene, he was kind of talking about how like Hogan is really big and uh, he himself is smaller and he's going to be the, uh, the, the underdog. That's what I gathered kind of, but also it goes on for like 10 minutes and I don't know what he's talking about. He starts talking about yarmulkes at one point for some reason. I I just don't get. It. Then he yeah, walks. Gotta...
1: Then he walks off with a fake limp.
0: Yeah, like he's about to walk away, and Mean Gene says, "Actually, hey, wait, I I gotta ask you, how's uh, how's the hip doing?" And then Roddy like looks back at the camera and then hops away on one foot, and that's the end of the set. It just made no fucking sense at all.
1: I was here for it.
0: I I I guess <laughs> I don't know. Next up. Here's another match that I, I wrote it down in all caps: Jushin Thunder Liger versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Like, how on earth is that going to miss? This because is surely you
1: know, fantasy booking. I
0: and, mean, ladies and gentlemen, guess what? It does not miss. In my opinion, I really like this match. I mean, I, I I can only imagine like if you were one of the like tape trading nerds in 1996, the kind of people who like actually watched, like. You know, obviously now, because of the internet, we can watch whatever the fuck we want. But back in the 90s, if you lived in America, you had to do some some legwork to be able to watch wrestling from Japan and from Mexico. And I can only imagine if you were one of those nerds how hyped you were to see Jushin Thunder Liger versus Rey Mysterio, a first-time matchup in 1996. And it is pitting... Two of the greatest and most revolutionary high flyers of that time. And what we get is maybe, considering their stature as two of the greatest and most revolutionary high flyers of all time, you think you're going to get a big high-flying flippy match. And that's not what you get. But what we do get is something that I like just as much. It is a, a match where Jushin Liger who is always a small wrestler, actually functions as like the bruising power wrestler against the much smaller Rey Mysterio. And it is, it is not a role that you almost ever saw Jushin Liger in, his whole career. But it was one that he, I thought, did very well, and they told a very good story. Um, for a lot of this match, again, it's Liger functioning as the stronger, bigger power guy, Again, standing next to Rey Mysterio, Liger, who is, like, probably 5'6", and, like, 190 pounds, looks huge compared to young Rey Mysterio. Um, And he beats his ass for a lot of this match, uh, hits him with a bunch of suplexes, wears him down, power bombs him, suplexes him on the floor, power bombs him on the floor, tilt-the-world backbreakers him, puts him in his surfboard uh, hold that he used to do for years, Ray comes back, hits a bunch of flying moves, standing moonsault, split-legged moonsault, springboard drop kick. He puts him in the camel clutch for a little while. He, you know, this is how he's going to win is by being Rey Mysterio and flipping and flopping and flying all around the ring. And then I love the timing on the spot. He tries to springboard back in the ring, but Liger times him with a drop kick out of midair, kills him, takes back over. Uh, Ray gets worn down for a while longer, comes back, hits a uh, monkey flip into a spin kick, a Hurricane run out of the corner, hits the acai moonsault to the outside off the top rope. That got a big reaction from the crowd. A guillotine leg drop back into the ring, goes for a second springboard move, misses. Liger hits a diving headbutt for a near fall, and then the finish of the match comes... Rey Mysterio tries to hit him with a Hurricane Rana out of the corner. Liger lands on his feet, turns around, hits a rolling thunder kick, and then hits the Liger bomb and gets the pin in 14 minutes and 16 seconds. Rey Mysterio did kick out, but at the three counts, and Liger gets the pin and wins the match.
1: This is why, like, I enjoy doing the podcast. This is one of those matches where I watch it once, and I don't quite get it. Because, like, again, it's Liger who is, like, a transcendental high flyer versus Rey Mysterio, the guy who made little guys a thing in wrestling. And it's funny seeing just how small Rey is at this point in time. And also how much smaller he looks without tattoos. Like, Tattooless Rey Mysterio looks like a scrawny kid. Like, it's incredible. But his work is fantastic. Tremendous job selling. It is a story of, like, Liger being the power guy. That is the story of the match. And for someone that was expecting more flippy stuff, it can be a little bit uh, earth shattering or like it catches you off guard. You're like, okay, this is not exactly what I imagined a Liger Ray Mysterio match to be. But it's also a testament to Liger that as someone that is almost always working as a smaller guy, he's able to work the big guy role so well. Yes. And which he which which he does do, I will admit that. Was I looking for more flips? Yes. Well, I acknowledge that they did do a good job of making Liger look like this big beefy dude who's going to just throw Ray Mysterio all around the ring. Yeah, they did that pretty darn well. Uh, Ray sells a great job. The biggest thing for me in this match isn't actually any of the wrestling. It's that Liger had a brain tumor and it was yeah. removed. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the things that they're talking about. I mean, we're talking about Mike Tanay and how he's you know giving the history of these. Uh, wrestlers and why you should care about them even if you know you don't know who they are. And yeah, he does tell the story that he had a brain tumor just a couple months before and had like had to have surgery for for this brain tumor and you know basically kept wrestling through it the whole time. Right? That's just I don't nuts. think he really took any time off that year for the tumor. Like I think he was basically wrestling the whole
1: way through. Insane. But yeah. a- again, if you go into this match expecting flippy stuff, you will be disappointed, but just appreciate it for what it is. And it's Liger working a style that he does not work against Ray Mysterio, who again, is just fantastic in the ring. There are some shades of like that psychosis, Ray Mysterio match. We saw it. Uh, One night stand Oh five, where psychosis like kind of looked hurt and therefore had a wrestle power. Liger didn't look hurt. Liger was like very still much, very still lively in this match. It yeah. just wasn't high-flying.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's that's the story of this match. And I think we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, how you said you didn't love this match. And I, I said I think it was because it suffered from the, uh, you know, like, you had different expectations for what it was going to be. You saw Jushin Liger, 96, taking on Rey Mysterio, and you think, oh, like, it's going to be a flippy match. And you go in expecting that, and it's not what you get. And I understand that, but, like, I really enjoyed watching this match because, yeah, Jushin Liger wrestling as the power guy, I think it makes a lot of sense because, you know, why, if, if you're a guy who always has to wrestle as the smaller guy, why would you not revel in the opportunity to beat the shit out of a smaller guy and just bully him <laughs> and slam him around because you can actually do it, you know?
1: I now like, realize the entirety of our friendship.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's mean, dude. But, <laughs> But (laughs) yeah. But like it I think it makes a lot of sense. And and to see Liger wrestle a style that he almost never got to wrestle and do it so well, I you just gotta appreciate how great he was. Absolutely. And he was great. I thought I I did really, really enjoy this match. So yeah, we start off with three straight matches, all of which I thought were good. Um, all featuring uh, Japanese stars getting brought in, and then we have another match that is between two really, really good workers. It is Chris Benoit taking on Jeff Jarrett. Uh, we are—it's interesting enough. Uh, we we talk about Jeff Jarrett maybe not being over. Jeff Jarrett was wrestling as a baby phase in his hometown. And Chris Benoit was more
1: over than he was. Good, that's not only me uh, noting that. It's the ring gear, man. That gear is just awful. (laughs) It's a stupid, like, it's a stupid alien spaceman gear that, like, he was wearing during this time. That just makes no sense. I guess if you want to think of it as, like, strings on a guitar, maybe that's what he's going for. But it just looks awful. That
0: may be what he was going for.
1: Um,
0: You know, because he wore that all the way through WWF. And, I mean, he wore that shit for years. And I just, I've never understood it. I've never understood it. It's, the, it's quite possibly
1: the worst ring gear ever and in it, the history of wrestling. And there's not even, like, branding on it. There's, like, no, like, Jeff Jarrett or, like, there's no slogan that he says or logo. There's nothing on those pants. It's just silver. Yeah. Like, it's and real jobber energy. It does not help. That he
0: looks completely ridiculous. But it's Benoit and Jarrett. Again, we we like to rib on Jeff Jarrett. But the one thing you can't deny about Jarrett always was a good worker. This is a good match. It's a very well-worked match. Uh, Benoit, who comes out with a woman, his wife Nancy. uh, He is working heel in this match. Does a bunch of little stuff. He slaps him in the face and hides behind the ref, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, he's got Nancy Benoit aside. She's helping him out, uh, getting involved, helping him take advantage. You know, as you know, Kevin Sullivan booked his own divorce, baby. Um, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett uh, goes – or he goes for a superplex. Jarrett pushes him off. They do this one spot that I thought was kind of, you know, creative little uh, interference spot where um, – so Jarrett pushes him off the rope on a superplex – And he tries to like Benoit's kind of up against the ropes on his knees. Jarrett runs over, tries to boot him in the head and woman kind of Nancy kind of grabs Benoit's head and sort of moves it out of the way of the kick. And Jarrett ends up kicking the rope and like hurting his foot. And then that lets Benoit get on top again. I actually liked that spot. I thought that was kind of creative. You don't really see that specific one very often. Um, and then Benoit takes over, really able to stay one step ahead of him throughout this match. You get a long chin-lock spot. Jarrett comes back, hits a big drop kick, hits an overhead belly-to-belly. Belly. Finish of this match comes with some fuckery to it. Uh, so Benoit at the time was a member of the four horsemen. But, you know, there's kind of some dissension. There's some hints that the other horsemen, not all of them are really on board with him. Um, some of them... Don't think he's really horseman worthy, and some of them uh, actually think that Jeff Jarrett might be more horseman worthy. This was like an ongoing story. So, uh, Arn Anderson comes out, horseman member, and walks past Benoit, kind of snubs him, and walks over to Jarrett's corner. Meanwhile, while everyone's turned around, a uh, Conan and Bill DeMott, Hugh Morris, come out and basically try to kidnap Nancy Benoit. Um, and she kicks DeMott in the balls, and there's all this hullabaloo. While this is going on, Arn Anderson DDTs Jeff Jarrett on the outside, and Kevin Sullivan runs in, gets in the ring, and breaks a wooden chair over Benoit's head. Um, and as this happens, Benoit's dead now. Uh, Arne grabs Jarrett and rolls him back into the ring, and Jarrett kind of rolls on top of Benoit and gets the pin in 13 minutes and 48 seconds. Jarrett wins the match, and then afterwards, uh, Steve McMichael, who's also a Horseman member, and uh, his wife Deborah come out, cut a promo. Mongo and Deborah shit talk Benoit. The audio is, like, mixed very poorly, so it's tough to hear everything they're saying. But they're basically saying, uh, Benoit sucks, uh, his wife is a a loose woman, and uh, Jeff Jarrett, though, that guy's horseman material. It's just all, you know, it's all falling apart for Benoit and the horseman right about now.
1: Yeah, the end, like, so this match, it's kind of like, it's good work, but hard to get into, and I think it's just a sim. I'm just going to call it Jeff Jarrett disease, where, where the work is good, you can watch the match and you see the work is good, but for whatever reason, just, doesn't hit the right notes. Uh yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And, and like it, I it, it sucks for Jeff Jarrett, but that's just what what it is at this point. And that's kind of that's the whole thing of his career. Say this for Jeff Jarrett. He will always be remembered for that. He might not be remembered for being great, he might not be remembered for being bad, but he's always going to be remembered as a guy that could work just didn't wor- a guy that could work that didn't work.
0: Yeah. There are better there are there are worse things to be remembered as than a guy who didn't get over but could work because at least you could work you know mm-hmm. what I mean? like it's better than being a guy who didn't get over and couldn't work and believe me there's plenty of them I'm one of them
1: <laughs> uh, but like the end of the match was just really too much going on like I thought the cameras did a poor job of keeping track of everything I got lost several times trying to understand what the heck is going on uh, I did enjoy the spot where like yeah, uh, Ben Wong got hit with a chair, and then Jarrett got hit with a DDT, and you're not really sure who won the match when the ref counts three, and ultimately they raised Jarrett's hands. I'm like, okay, that was kind of cool. I enjoy the I, I enjoy those finishes where both guys are just spent, and you don't know who actually has the cover on who. I I will always like those. But yeah, it's just like, you know, it's a good wrestling match. It's probably a good match to like turn on and learn something from, yeah. but in terms of investment, there's not much.
0: Yeah, it's a perfectly well-worked match up until the up until the finish. It's just a, you know, really just solid wrestling match. And then you get some fuckery at the end. I I I, you know, I am kind of a a purist a little bit. You know, I don't like too much interference. I don't like four people making run-ins at the same time. Uh gets a little confusing. And then obviously you get the finish, but I mean they're they're doing this The storyline with, you know, is is Benoit going to lose his spot? Not everyone wants him there. Other people want Jarrett. That's what they're trying to further that story so you get what they're doing. But it just gets, you know, at a certain point it gets a little bit much. It's kind of like, why were Conan and Hugh Morris there trying to kidnap Nancy Benoit? I don't really know.
1: It should be just enough to continue the story. It shouldn't detract from the match. Like, even the promos at the end there, like... If you want to do the promos afterwards after the match ends clean and saying, Hey, see, Jeff Jarrett beat Benoit clean. Or if you want to have like a kind of like chicken shit finish, you could do that too and say, Hey, Jarrett beat Benoit. That's how you would continue it out. You don't need to do everything at once. You have to like tease it out. You have to do one thing at a time. You can't just blow your load as soon as you have this idea. You have to like yeah. tease it out.
0: Yeah, there was definitely a load being blown here a little bit too much. Um, and yeah, it's just like, you know, I, I know the story that they're doing with Jared and Benoit. Like, I get it. I understand what's going on there. And that's interesting enough, you know, especially with a, with a faction as storied as the horsemen. But then when you got the Conan and Hugh Morris stuff, then it, you start to lose me because it's like, okay, well, why are they there? Like, can you tell me what's going on? I don't know. Especially
1: Hugh Morris like... and uh, Conan. Cause like, they don't have any look. Like they are on the same stable, or even in the same faction, or like anything. They they look like they're from different promotions. With like, yeah, Humorous is like green and yellow, kind of like expressive stuff, and like Conan street clothes. Like, why are they working together? I guess. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, I guess they were in the Dungeon of Doom at the time. That that's my thought, but like, I that's guess not that's ever, what
0: it was. That's uh, not like.
1: Yeah. You have to be I'm united fine, like, on your look. I'm trying to, like,
0: dig into my mind about 96 I get, yeah Kevin Sullivan was there. I guess, the, I guess the Dungeon of Doom still existed at the time. I kind of, like, assume that the Dungeon of Doom stopped existing after the NWO, because it's like, why would you give a shit about the Dungeon of Doom at this point? Uh, but I guess they still existed, and they were feuding with Benoit, because Benoit stole Sullivan's wife. So I guess that was it. But they don't really put that over at all. You know no. what I mean? They don't, like, really, like... You know, at some point, like, you don't need the the announcers to tell you everything, but, like, just, like, kind of fill it in a little bit for me here. Eh. Not a huge fan of that. Also not a huge fan of I've got uh, Dynamite in the background right now. Watching the uh, FTR versus Side Al and uh, Dante Martin match, and so far it's really good. Not a huge fan of these guys at ringside have a huge big baller brand flag that they are (laughs) waving around. Fantastic. And I don't know where they got that, and also I didn't know big baller brands still exist. It doesn't. I'm
1: almost hundred percent certain it doesn't. Are you sure? I think like, like I think the trademark they still own the trademark, but the company itself does not exist. It's something else now because of the uh, the fraud that was done by like the family friend. I'm almost certain that's a storyline. It does sound something straight out of wrestling, so we're not completely off topic. No, I'm I'm on the Big Baller Brand website, and you can buy stuff. Huh? I didn't, I thought it was. Ex- I thought it was uh, extinct, or at least under a yeah. different management. No,
0: I I think they must have relaunched it or something. You can buy Big Brawler, Big Baller Brand merch.
1: I want to see,
0: and of course their shit's way too fuck. Seventy dollars for a Big Baller Brand hoodie? Come the fuck on! Yeah,
1: no, they they were expensive even before too, but but I don't I
0: don't see a flag on here. So I don't know where they got this flat.
1: I'm sure you could get that custom-made and just say, like, hey, I'm getting custom-made. It's not going to be made for profit, whatever. Uh, right. Still, Lavar is made for wrestling, and, like, we could use another LeVar sighting. I wouldn't mind They it. have They have an
0: item on this website that is called LeVar's Bucket Hat. It's a bucket hat with the Big Baller brand logo, but it is specifically called LeVar's Bucket Hat. It's a hundred dollar bucket hat. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here!
1: That man was oh. made. That man was made to run a wrestling promotion. A T-
0: hundred dollar bucket hats?
1: That man was made to run a wrestling promotion. You can't tell me otherwise. <laughs> fuck you. Well, I mean the uh, <laughs> the Ball Brothers
0: appearance on Raw that one time. Is one of the most entertaining things that happened <laughs> in WWE programming. Because
1: in of years, what LaMelo said. Not,
0: not for the reason that <laughs> anyone would want it to be, you know? But that is like an unforgettable moment.
1: I just remembered it. That's, uh, Thank you for that.
0: Yeah. So next up, uh, we have a tag team title match. And it is our first appearance, I believe of the nwo on this show and the latter half of this show is going to be basically all nwo related content and this is our first nwo match it is the outsiders scott hall and kevin nash defending the tag team titles against the faces of fear meng and the barbarian accompanied by their manager the mouth of the south jimmy hart and this is a match where you know, so there's four guys in this match. Two of them are Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who are huge stars, Hall of Fame type guys who were pushed big and really over. And the guy who comes off looking strongest in this match is Meng. Meng gets so much, Meng kicks everyone's ass in this match. And honestly, I was fucking here for it because Meng rules. Uh, he is just being big and bad and beats everybody up. Uh, Scott Hall at, early on in this match. I, I, one of my favorite like kayfabe stories in wrestling is that Samoans have heads made out of steel. Um, Scott Hall hits him with a top rope bulldog in this match early on, and spikes Meng's head into the mat, and Meng just gets pissed off and no sells it completely. Because you can't go after the head when you're fighting a Samoan. And Meng comes out and just beats the shit out of him. Um, Nash gets in there with a the Barbarian, two big guys, a big pop for Nash, big pop with his face-off. Nash was very over. Um, Meng keeps getting offense. He uh, They do a double headbutt on Nash, and Nash goes down. Um, I actually, you know, I like 90% of this match is offense, is punches and kicks, but I actually think it tells a good story, and I really like it. Uh, I'm way more invested in this match than I expected to be. Uh, Mang spikes Hall with a pile driver and Barbarian then hits him with a powerbomb. Scott Hall gets the shit beaten out of him in this match. Um, the finish of this match comes, though, with some interference because it's the NWO. Uh, NWO member six, better known as X-Pac, better known as the one, two, three kid, uh, shows up, chases Jimmy Hart off, steals the megaphone, um, Nash comes in, hits a big boot, but Meng breaks up the pin with a big diving elbow drop, and then Nash hits the jackknife powerbomb on the Barbarian and gets the pin, and the Outsiders retain the belts in 11 minutes and 52 seconds.
1: I'm going to go Jake Long here because someone has to. Uh, this match was not good. It was not fun to watch. Uh I think that the story that you told does it justice. Like, with the story of Samoans' heads are too hard to hurt. You have to hurt them elsewhere. Uh, that is better Better storytelling than I thought. It was just kind of like a slog fest, man. It, like, they were in the corners. They're doing the corner stuff. It's just a lot of corner offense. Be each other. I'm not, like, in teams' corners, so you're getting tag team moves that are looking cool. It's just, like, in the other corners where they just kind of, like, punch, 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 rotate. Punch, 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 rotate. I just, I wasn't in it. It wasn't that great. Uh, there's a spot where it's a very long nerve hold on Scott Hall that just seems to go on forever, and I, I think that if you just watch this match, understand that it's big dudes. That's the match. It's big dudes. You you could be like, okay, yeah, it's, it's it's okay. It's it's a big dude match, which is it's always cool. Like Kevin Nash. Like I'll say this: this is one of the few times where I see Kevin Nash. I'm like, oh, that's why people pay to see him because the guy looks massive, huge. But I, yes. I, I, I didn't think it was a good match. Massive
0: and charismatic and over. Yes. And, I mean, like, Nash, I thought Nash looked like money, but I, I think one of the reasons why I like this match and I like the story of this match so much is that I'm a big Meng guy. And it is the official position of the 2 and a Half marks podcast. We are a pro-Meng, pro-Haku, you know, every single every single one of his names. We are pro this guy. And pro Mang podcast. Pro
1: his lineage too. His kids are all great too.
0: Yes, we are a pro Mang family here.
1: But this was not a good match.
0: <laughs> and this match puts Mang over hard. I mean, this match is Mang beating the shit out of like the two of the biggest guys and most most like protected most over guys in the company mm. for like ten minutes, and then you know Nash is able to to overcome and pin the other guy. I just kind of liked that. I, I like how. You know, obviously the Outsiders win the match, but you make another guy in this match look so strong. But does, I was actually... I, like I said, I was way more into this match and way more invested in it than I really expected to be.
1: But does, they, do they, does WCW do anything with Meng after this? Do they make him a champion? Do they make him relevant? Do they make him a guy? Or is he just in this kind of tag team because they don't have, have anything else to do with him? Like, I... I if they were if the whole point of this was to put Meng over as a singles guy because he was so tough he was able to hang with Nash and Hall, it's good. But because it's WCW, and because we kinda already know what, what Meng and like how his career went, it's probably just so like, yeah, he kinda just toils. Do they end up pushing Meng at all? No!
0: <laughs> they do not <laughs> But still I liked the match because I liked, I, I just liked, it's, it's, I just thought it was kind of cool seeing fucking Meng, you know, stand up to the, the two outsiders and just beating their ass. I thought it was cool.
1: Well, what was the next I, thing I, that I Meng did? I
0: watching that. I don't fucking know. He was just a guy I thought you were, I thought you were looking up the next pay-per-view. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I mean, I can, I, I, he just kind of didn't really do anything for the rest of his career in WCW, but you know, I, I, I like Meng.
1: Look, I li- I like yeah. Meng too, but I'm not gonna apologize for a bad match.
0: I like Meng. I thought he was good in this match, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bitch about it. Thank you very much. Let's
1: anyone. get to let's get to this next match. I love this next match.
0: Yes, this next match is a very good match. It is the finals of a tournament for the vacant United States Championship. And the finalists are pure heel jersey trash garbage man, Diamond Dallas Page. If Jake and I did a fusion. Yes, yes, he is the fusion dance of you and Jake. And he is taking on uh, a baby face, resplendently mulleted Eddie Guerrero, a freaking king and a legend. Rest in peace to Eddie Guerrero. Um, and this match is, uh, you know, it's about 15 minutes or so. The work is really good. The crowd is pretty dead to start, but it's a very well-worked match. And they start to get the crowd into it until the end. And, and they really start to get the crowd into it towards the end. Uh, and then we get kind of a, a fucky finish that kills the crowd back off. But, you know, it's, it's a testament to those two guys that they were able to have A match where, you know, the crowd starts dead and they heat him up. It's a testament to those two guys. It's a very good match. Uh, Eddie has the upper hand technically working as the babyface early on. Um, Then, uh, you know, Eddie hits a plotch. Is that Rosario Dawson on AEW right now? What the fuck? Who's that? Rosario Dawson, the actress. uh, Men in Black 2. Other shit. that (laughs) shit. That was either Rosario Dawson or someone who looks just like Rosario
1: Dawson. Well, (laughs) as we're sidetracked from this glorious match.
0: Uh, sorry. I, (laughs) yes, that confirmed is Rosario Dawson on AEW. That's really weird. Anyway, (laughs) sorry about that. Um, (laughs) yeah, so it's, uh, DDP and Eddie, Eddie has the upper hand technically early in the match, hits a planche to the outside, uh, DDP catches him into a flapjack on the top rope, kind of checks his chin, and that gives him the chance to get the heat, takes over for a while, hits a pile driver, hits a swinging neck breaker for a near fall. Eddie gets a really fiery comeback where he bumps him with a European uppercut, punches him in the face a bunch of times. Goes for the frog splash, misses. Um, he does this one cool spot where he like backflips off the top rope and then catches DDP, out of midair with an atomic drop and then turns the atomic drop into a small package for a near fall. I thought that was awesome. Um, reverses the diamond cutter into a backslide pin for a two count. DDP catches him with a bin, big spinning power bomb. They have these near falls going. the crowd is really heating up. And then, uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash come out. And uh, the two outsiders, they had been trying to recruit DDP into the NWO in recent weeks. And it looks at, at first, the announcers are speculating that they are going to help DDP. But then Scott Hall turns around and hits DDP with the razor's edge. Eddie hits the frog splash. And Eddie wins the title and wins the match 15 minutes and 20 seconds. But afterwards... The NWO, they're not actually there to really help Eddie because they give a shit about Eddie. They try to go three on one and beat up Eddie. Eddie is fighting against uh, Hall, Nash, and Six and actually fights them off for a while. And is like, you know, hitting them with a bunch of moves and looking great and winning the fight. Then eventually the numbers catch up to him and he gets his ass beat by the NWO and left laying in the ring. He also wins the title. But they don't actually have the belt on hand. They say that the Giant, who's in this next match, who was the champion, uh, still has the belt. Physically has the belt.
1: Yeah, they stole it. Uh, The in-ring chemistry of these two guys is just bonkers. It's so good. They, They sell each other's moves perfectly. I mean... Eddie's gold, uh, just gorgeous locks. Like, Eddie's hair, Eddie's look is just on point precisely as opposed to the Jersey trash DDP. That said, DDP does have some of that wily, crazy, kind of like energy Edge brings nowadays where he's just like that veteran that knows every trick in the book. And he does that role perfectly perfectly. Uh, this is a much better Eddie than we saw last time at One Night Stand. This guy is fully engaged. He has all these moves and his tricks. Does some of the high-flying stuff that you don't really see him do later on in his career. And it's, like, very much more of a luchador style. DDP sells the dropkick out of the ring, like, a million bucks. Like, it looks so brutal, how he just kind of falls out of the ring. Uh, then, uh... Again, the back and forth, tremendous throughout the entire match. Like, you did a great job describing the match. I don't need to go into all those moves. But Like, the back and forth between these two. Fantastic. The splat on Eddie missing the frog splash. Just absolutely brutal looking. The super atomic drop, which I'm almost certain we've seen on the selling atomic drops gift Twitter. Like, I'm pretty sure we've seen that spot on that gift Twitter before. And it's just really good. And then the NWO yeah. show up. And the NWO does all those thumb screwing around and i get it the whole story is really the nwo versus ddp eddie's kind of like an afterthought here which is weird because he wins the title and so like the whole thing is to continue the story between ddp and the nwo if this was a way to get eddie and ddp on the same page like same team maybe i don't think that's what ultimately ends up happening it's just like and we'll, I'm going to talk, I'll, I'll go into this a little bit more later. But it's also like right after their match. So you're telling me that the Outsiders who are spent in a tough match, like the match was built and booked as a tough match for the Outsiders. This wasn't the Outsiders walking all over the face of fear. The Outsiders were in a fight. And so after they got done a fight, the very next match after 15 minutes, they're going to come and run out and lay the boots to people. And yeah, Eddie looks good fighting him off for a little bit. But really, that's what we're going to do. I don't know. I, I, it still doesn't detract from the match. The match was fantastic. Highly recommend watching this one. Uh, but yeah, NWO. This is kind of like when I realized, like, oh yeah, the NWO kind of got old fast.
0: Yeah, but they they weren't they weren't you know they weren't old yet. The end of 1996, and they wouldn't get old for a little while longer. I mean, they were still still winning. They were still kind of like you know still over people still liked them people were still invested shit you hadn't even really gotten into the sting storyline yet that had basically dominated 97 which is like the peak right there uh we kind of see some of the makings of it later on in the show but
1: but you could see you could see why like like when you're doing this so much over and over and over again over years you realize well we didn't have anyone else
0: yeah, I mean, you can't do it too much, um, and I think you see the makings of you know some of the stuff that WCW did too much and went to the well with too many times um, to make it an issue to make things kind of an issue moving forward. Because when you do it, you know, you do fucky finishes and you know uh, interference and ref bumps and all that, then you get what the Bullet Club is in New Japan now. And mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of tune out when they're in there, because I know what's going to happen.
1: And the last uh, half of this entire pay-per-view involves the NWO. It is, all, like, even this match, which has no NWO member in it, involves the NWO. And it's just frustrating, because, like, okay, cool, now we're spending two hours on one faction. Yeah. But it
0: was basically, for all intents and purposes, at this time, WCW was the NWO show. Everything was about, like, like, it was really kind of an existential threat to WCW. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, NWO was trying to conquer the promotion. You know, WCW is fighting for its life against these invaders. And they're trying to recruit everybody. You know, they're trying to recruit and steal people away from WCW. And so that's why they're involved here. It's because that's what they were trying to do with DDP. And they succeeded. He said no. So he said, fuck you. Uh, So that's what you get. I mean, it's... Like, that's just what, you know... When they did the invasion angle on that kind of scale, it sort of necessitated, like... Almost everything is kind of about the NWO now. And, like... I kind of get it. It doesn't mean it's, like super fun to watch 25 years later but I kind of get it they were doing business at this time
1: so like obviously it was working for them so wait let me get this straight their primary colors are black and white yes. they're coming in trying to take over as outsiders and yes. they're hurting people that go against them yes so retribution
0: yes <laughs> I have always said I knew where you were going with this I knew exactly where you were going from the beginning uh yeah Hogan is T-Bar, uh, Nash is Mace, and, uh, Hall is the other one, slapjack? slapjack? Slapjack. right, yeah, Hall, Scott Hall is Slapjack, 100%. I've been saying this for years, he's a Slapjack type. Um, yeah. So, next up, I actually skipped over this. Uh, we had a DiBiase, uh, the Ted DiBiase and Hulk Hogan promo before this, um, So it's Hogan and DiBiase cutting this heel promo for the NWO. Uh, Vincent, the former Virgil, and Miss Elizabeth were there as well. This is just such a great shit-eating heel promo about how much Roddy. It basically just dials down to uh, Roddy Roddy Piper is a bitch. He's afraid of me. And also, I'm a heel now, and I hate children. That's what this promo was, and it's gr- I go watch this promo. I just love it. It's just c- pure shit-eating heel stuff
1: from Hollywood Hogan. He is so freaking good at this. So damn good at like be just again being detestable. Like you walk, he walked into the room. Even just like how he has his like the five o'clock shadow and then his bleach blonde Fu Manchu. It's just like I want to punch you in the face. Yeah, it's it's
0: really just like. Yeah, I feel like like the Young Bucks are doing that thing now where it's like they're trying to look escalatingly stupid to get heat. <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, I feel like Hogan pioneered that. I feel like he knew exactly how ridiculous he looked, but he was going to get him heat, you know? Um, it's not it's not quite as crazy as what the Young Bucks are wearing nowadays, but it's getting there.
1: I don't know, the facial hair's up there.
0: Facial hair is great. <laughs> um, he looks awesome. <laughs> he just looks freaking awesome. So next up, it's another NWO match. It is the Giants, NWO member, of course, later known as the big show, Paul White. And he is taking on the body guy of all body guys, Lex Luger. And it is big, strong guy against big, strong guy. They do a test of strength early on, but the Giant ends up taking advantage and uh, controlling most of this match because He's actually, like, athletic and kind of explosive and way more agile than you would expect. Much Shockingly so. Shockingly so, especially when you compare him to the big show that we watched in WWF for all that time. You know, he really put on a lot of weight and lost a lot of his mobility. But this is a very young uh, Paul White. And he actually looks really good in this match. Uh, he's, like, you know, pretty young and pretty lean relatively. He tries a just- dropkick yeah and gets decent height on it too you know he's like 24 years old in this match he'd only been wrestling for a couple of years and hadn't put all that weight on hadn't had all that wear and tear out his body yet and again actually looks pretty good in this match um leaps into the air really high with an elbow drop and that was the that was the spot where i was like oh shit like go get it paul um Luger fires back. Luger tries to pick him up and body slam him, but the Giant just dead weights him and lands on him for a two count. Um, Giant runs into the corner at him. Luger ducks out of the way and uh, is able to get a little bit of offense and then eats the big boot. As we said, this is the spot where he goes up for the drop kick. Gets decent height on it, but misses. Luger comes back. He gets his big comeback. Hits a bunch of clotheslines in a row. Hits a neckbreaker, gets a big reaction for finally bumping the giant and taking him off his feet. Then we get the fucky finish uh, because they're contractually obligated to have a fucky finish in an NWO match. We get a ref bump. Luger finally body slams him. Nick Patrick, who was the crooked NWO referee, he sneaks into the ring as Luger is about to get him up in the torture rack. And Patrick walks by and cheekily kind of kicks his leg out. And, uh, you know, Luger ends up dropping the giant. It's at this moment that Sting appears. And now Sting was... Sting had kind of relatively recently started showing up as the Crow character. Um, And he, you know, was kind of keeping an eye on um, the NWO and all this stuff. He was, uh, you know, he did not uh, wrestle for a really long time at WCW. He had debuted as, like, the Crow Sting, um, but it was kind of like a question, is he with the NWO? Is he with WCW? What's he going to do? Um, and... He comes out and he talks to Luger. He talks to uh, uh, the Big Show. Uh, He, like, leaves his bat in the ring. And as the two guys fight over the bat, Luger hits the Giant with a low blow, hits the Giant with a bat a few times, and then the referee counts uh, and then gets the pin and the referee counts three, and Luger wins the match in 13 minutes and 23 seconds. And this is billed as a huge deal. This is billed as the first loss for the NWO period in, in a real match. And this is a great moment of good commentary kind of putting over the story. Afterwards, the giant, they're, they're starting to kind of trying to lay the groundwork a little bit for a giant babyface turn. And it's sort of you know the giant standing in the ring in the ring looking a little bit disappointed, and the commentary is pointing out that you know when the giant needed them, they didn't send Hall and Nash, they sent Nick Patrick and they sent Six, who also kind of interfered and uh, you know attacked Luger during the end of that match. I, I did miss that part, but um, Six and they sent the two kind of big jabronis of the group instead of like you know, Hall and Nash when the Giant needed help. And that kind of tells you how important that they feel the Giant is.
1: Yeah, uh, again, this is a match that has no right being as good as it is with the parties involved. Because when you see Lex Luger defeats the Giant, you're like, oh, this is going to be a slog. This is going to take five years to watch, and it's going to be miserable. But no, like both guys, and you mentioned with Big Show, the Giant, uh, the guy can move. And so can Luger at this point. Uh, Luger is doing a pretty good job selling too. Like it's not – they're not stiff yet. I think that's the best thing about both these guys that they're not stiff yet. Now come back in four years and you do this match, it is bad. Uh, but like again, this was a pretty solid match. Luger just looks insane, 1% body fat if that. Although he kind of looks like a buff founding father with his hair back and a ponytail. Like you could see him at like the signing of the uh, Declaration of Independence – Uh, but it's actually, like, not bad. They sell the match pretty well. Again, you have the NWO chicanery, the giant bench-pressing Luger onto the ref I thought was a really kind of cool spot to uh, invite the chaos, even if the chaos itself was kind of, like, convoluted. And then Sting's role. I think that Sting, with the role that he was playing at this point as more as a spectator as opposed to anyone that has any true alliances, just going to both guys, whispering something to them, and just putting the bat in the middle and seeing who comes out on top, I think that's an interesting kind of role, and it kind of works with what the character was doing. But, again, fantastic match. And with Lex le- like putting the hurt to the NWO, giving them their first defeat, surely Lex Luger is going to be a thorn in the side of NWO for years to come.
0: Well, kind of was for a while, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I mentioned him beating Hogan for the title in 97, the new year, the next year he was, when did he join like, NWO though? I thought he joined, uh, was it 98? He was in, was he in like the NW, one of the shitty NWO
1: things? factions,
0: factions like he, the NWO black and white. Yeah, he, he was I'm,
1: involved with NWO then.
0: No, he was in the wolf pack. He was in the wolf pack. Which was the good guys? NWO Wolfpack were babyfaces, but were not they? Okay, and they were cool. Yes, no, so the the Wolfpack were cool. Um, that was like, uh, kind of Hall and Nash turned babyface, basically. Yeah. Um, and they feuded with Hogan, um, and yeah, like the NWO Wolfpack were babyfaces, and I think like it's fu- it's still funny. Luger though. was Luger was in the Wolfpack. It's so it, tremendously Luger was, funny. Luger was, like, aligned against Hogan and, like, the, you know, like, the kind of heel NWO for, he, he was, like, one of the main guys against that. He had a really, like, long-term, like, kind of uh, sort of partnership with, uh, like, Sting, where it was, like, kind of Luger's, you know, like, Sting is a baby face and Luger's, like, more of a heel, but they're still friends and they still hate the NWO. Uh, yeah. So he, like, he, was, he was legitimately a thorn in the side of the NWO for a long time.
1: Fair enough. I'm wrong. But it, it, again, f- funny to go from like this to, oh, now we have matches where it's NWO versus NWO. And which NWO do you want to win? Uh, yes. But no, again, this match has no right being as good as it is. And even though it's like you know, a fair match, it's better than anything we, I think we've seen from either of these guys in a while.
0: Yeah, the big attraction when you watch this match is seeing young Big Show, young Paul White. Leave his feet. Yeah, leave his feet and be agile and be mobile and, like, actually do stuff. And, like, just surprising you with how athletic he was. Because, obviously, he's huge. Although, later in the show, when they show him next to Nash and Hogan and Hall, he doesn't look that huge. Because all those guys are also enormous. (laughs) But... I mean, for a guy who's that big, I mean, actually, you know, you can see why they they jumped on him and they pushed him very, very early.
1: He's that big and he moves better than any of the other three.
0: Yeah, he's he. Yeah, I mean, he's moving around big uh, better in this in this show than Kevin Nash was. That's for sure. Not that Kevin Nash was uh, ever made an effort to really be a work rate guy. (laughs) Uh, But, you know. He he looked great. I thought I thought White uh, Paul White looked great in this match, really. Um, and it's shocking. I I have always been a very, you know, publicly on this show an anti Big Show guy, but he was great in this match. I really enjoyed him. All
1: right, last thing before we move to the main event: better match, Sheamus Big Show or Giant Luger? I'd probably say Sheamus Big Show, just because by that point,
0: uh, Big Show, even though he's not as mobile as he used to be. um... It's just a much more experienced wrestler, and is just much more experience putting together a match um, and, and kind of just executing a match than he is here. He's still very, very young here and doesn't have a whole lot of experience. It impresses you with what he can do, but I feel like as a wrestling match, as a story told from beginning to end, that Sheamus match is better.
1: I think that's the right answer. Yes.
0: I know it's the right answer. Thank you. So we will go to the main event. It is Michael Buffer in the house because it is a a WCW pay per view main event. And he says it's the match of the decade. And yes, it is if it's the 1980s, but it's 1996. It is Hollywood Hulk Hogan defending or not not defending the uh, world title. He is the champion, but the title is not on the line against Rowdy Roddy Piper. And I say, I I make a joke about, you know, the 1980s, but both these guys are over, so what can you say? It's, uh, Hogan comes out first, the classic NWO spray painted onto the big gold belt. Roddy comes out, he gets a big fireworks show when he gets in there. Um, Roddy Piper is really on top for a lot of this match, and it happens several times where Hogan gets in the ring, And Roddy beats his ass and then sends Hogan scurrying out of the ring. This happened three times. Um, One point, Roddy gets him in a headlock, and Hogan picks him up and back suplexes him. And Roddy just no-sells it; He does not let go of the headlock and just keeps him in that headlock for a while. Roddy keeps knocking Hogan out of the ring over and over again. On the third time, he finally starts going after him up the ramp, he grabs him, drags him ringside, takes a belt, starts whipping Hogan with the belt. Eventually, Ted DiBiase, who's there at ringside with Hogan, distracts Roddy and gets uh, Hogan the chance to jump him on the outside. They fight into the crowd. Hogan gets him back into the ring, puts him in the abdominal stretch for a while. Stuff gets really awkward at this point. They have this spot where Ted, who's on the outside, tries to grab Roddy's foot when he hits the ropes. and it, Things kind of just get thrown out of sync, and they sort of just fall into one another. Um, it was very awkward, and I don't know what exactly they were doing. Um, Piper hits a vertical suplex, which is one of the only like kind of like real big moves that you see in this match for a near fall. Hogan goes for the leg drop, misses, but Piper, you know, gets up. He's ready to go. The finish of this match is crazy, insane. So. <laughs> We get the NWO interference. The Giant comes in. He uh, picks Piper, uh, with, with the referee turned around, he picks Piper up to choke slam. And so what's supposed to happen is he picks Piper up for the chokeslam, and then Hogan, like, walks over, and there's some miscommunication, and Piper is able to, you know, kick Hogan in the face and escape the move and send the Giant packing, and then, you know get the sleeper hold and win the match. What actually happens is the giant picks him up and then a fan runs into the ring at this exact moment. <laughs> a fan runs into the ring. So they now have to like Hulk Hogan and the referee have to deal with this fucking jerk off. Who has decided at the, at like the, the climax moment of the main event of the show I'm going to run into the ring. And they, they stop this guy out and they fucking throw him out. And this whole time, the giant has been waiting to do this fucking spot. And he's been holding Roddy Piper in the air <laughs> this whole time waiting to do this. And you know, they have, he has to wait and wait and wait. And he is, keeps holding Roddy up in the air. And like he's got him up there the, for like like a full minute at this point. And then finally, you know, the security is able to get a hold of this jackass and they bundle him off. And then they're able to finally do the spot where uh, he kicks Hogan and then gouges the giant's eyes, tosses him out, and he gets Hogan in the sleeper hold. And Hogan goes out, and they ring the bell. Winner by technical submission, Hulk Hogan passes out in the sleeper hold, and Rowdy Roddy Piper has beaten the champ, clean in the middle of the freaking ring in 15 minutes and 36 seconds. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper is the winner. Afterwards, uh, Hall and Nash try to beat up uh, Piper. Uh, Piper gets one over on the two of them. He gets out of the ring and hightails it. And then we finish the match, or finish the show really, with dissension between the Giant and the other three. It's not lost on the Giant that uh, they were not there for it. That uh, none of the main NWO guys were there for it, and he's yelling, "Where were you? You guys let me down." And then afterwards, Hogan's like, "You know what? No, you cost me the match. You dropped the ball. Get the hell out of here, you freaking jabroni." And afterwards, he gets his belt. Uh, him, Nash, hall get back in the ring, and he's yelling at the he's yelling at the camera, and he says. Not Piper, it was a non-title match and I killed you. and then he like hocks a loogie on the camera and that's the end of the show
1: so yeah, there we go this is a rare case of uh, why a delusional heel is still a thing in wrestling is because when Hogan does it there's just something that hits there's a note that it hits that's just fantastically disillusioned that makes you love the fact that he got his shit kicked in, but it also still makes sense that he is the world champion like there's a reason why this guy is holding the title, and it's because he's an absolute chicken shit heel, and that stuff like that. Uh, and this is why I'm kind of cool with it not being a title match. This is also why it's annoying today to see a champion get pinned or lose a match. Is because when the champion loses, it should be a big deal. And this match was still a big deal, even though it wasn't for the title. It's just you have two guys who are icons of maybe yeah a past generation, but are still super connected to the crowd. The crowd still gives a hundred and ten percent to both these guys in terms of like the roles they play. In fact, to the point where I think that fan that ran in thought it was real because that's the only exclamation I, I can come. up That's the no, only I mean, exclamation I can come. Up. There's plenty of it, other so just He's some fucking jerk off. That's an explanation. <laughs> it is. But, like, I think he, uh, the way I think of it and the way that it looked like, because he's, like, literally grabbing at Hogan, is that he hates Hogan so much. And to see them cheat right now, he's like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to help uh, Roddy Piper in this match. I'm going to go after Hogan. And that, I think that's what the guy was thinking. Uh, don't want him on the podcast. This is just going to be my own headcanon. Uh, but, like, the match itself was fantastic. It was just two larger-than-life icons going head-to-head. They built it up as a guy that Hogan has never beaten. Hogan has never beaten Roddy Piper, and Roddy's in his head. There's some, like, CM Punk, uh, like, to Roddy Piper. Like, I, I kind of, like, made that connection just with how hot the crowd is for him, how excited they are to see him in the ring again. The energy that he carries with him, I, there's just something about the energy that is very Punk returning in 2021-like. Uh, obviously not a lot of big moves here. It's like you said, the suplex is kind of like the only thing here, but the story that gets told is just super fantastic that even with the interference, it makes sense. And it's still very good and very rewarding. And yeah, it's starcade It's their big show. It should be for the title. But even though it's not for the title, like Roddy Piper kind of is presented in a way that exceeds the title. There's, there, there's the world title and there's Roddy Piper who's above it.
0: I don't know. I I don't know if I would say that necessarily. I, mean, I I just, you know, we already talked about this leading into it. I I just, when you're talking about a starcade, I mean, can you imagine at a WrestleMania the WWE champion is in a match and he's not defending the
1: title? Uh, didn't they technically do that with Cena and Rock, although neither of them had the title? Neither of them were the champions. I mean. I'm saying, like, the WWE
0: champion is in a match, but he's not defending Okay,
1: then like, no. Because like... that's
0: a match. Casino Rock was an attraction in and of itself. It was the dream match. It was the once-in-a-lifetime match, right? <laughs> like, that is that is something that people viewed as being bigger than a WWE title match. But the WWE champion, who I believe was CM Punk at the time? CM Punk, had just got his ass beat by Hook on AEW. <laughs> um, that's Hook right there. Um, he, uh, you know, like, still was there defending the title, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, but I think in that case where you have another guy that has the title, and two other guys that are larger than life, at this point, it probably, again, if you want to do the Hogan-Piper match without the title, then I you probably put the title on Nash, but the problem is that Hogan's the leader of the NWO. Hogan, he needs the belt to be the leader. He needs the belt to be above them. So... I think in that aspect, like you couldn't not have Hogan be the champion and also have him have this match be as big even without the title. I know that's kind of like a real long like stretch to kind of get to, but it's kind of like how the NWO was presented. It was Hogan and his cronies, everyone else besides Hogan was a tier below Hogan. And if Hogan wasn't the champion and it was anyone else, it's not nearly as big a deal. So by having him be the champion, even though it's a non-title match, it still makes this match just an insane level of sports entertainment.
0: You know, the match is fine. It's good. I guess. I don't know. I mean, this is Roddy... I, I, I just kind of have issue getting, like, into Roddy at this point in 96. He's older. He had not really done much wrestling previous five or
1: so years there's not much wrestling period in the match
0: yeah i mean he was over it's one of those things where like he's over enough and hogan is over enough that they don't necessarily have to do a whole lot but like piper had really barely wrestled the previous I don't know, more than five years, seven or eight years. When did he start really being in movies? Late 80s, he kind of left. Like, he would show up and and wrestle. I think, like, maybe 88 was when he kind of stopped being a full-time wrestler. So he hadn't really wrestled much. Um, Again, his promo earlier in the show was so just, like, incredibly confusing that it kind of
1: cooled me off him a little bit. A thousand percent emotion, zero percent sense.
0: Yeah, and I was just like, you know, like... I guess I understand it as the main event because Hogan was bigger than anybody at this time. But it's not a title match, which I feel like it should be. And it just makes me wish that like they hadn't really developed Sting to that point where like it made sense for him to be challenging the NWO at that point. They hadn't really built up Luger to that point where he like it would make sense necessarily for him to challenge Hogan. And it's like, you're kind of at this point where you're lacking a big baby face right now to go up against the NWO. So you bring back Roddy because you know he's going to be over because everyone has nostalgic feelings towards him. And he was a big star. But it just doesn't make for a great match. And you know you're not going to get anything more out of it than probably just one match
1: agreed and that's also why i think they didn't put the title on the line i think this was a case of wcw giving the fans a win of like yeah. hey you want to see roddy win we don't want roddy to be the world champion because that's how you get events like goldberg in 2020 being a world champion which doesn't work out and this was still a way to like have a match be important and still give it, send the fans home happy uh, Yes. also with the ref too The ref sells a real surprise on the third arm drop. Like, the ref looks surprised that when he drops the arm, he's like, oh, the match is over. Ring the bell.
0: Yes. Yes, in fact. Uh, And I did like that because, like, I think probably most of the fans didn't expect Roddy to beat Hogan. Mm -hmm. You know, Roddy and Hogan battle. I mean, that was a big feud for years in the WWF. I mean, you know, especially in, like, the mid-'80s. You talk about 85... I mean, they they main evented the first WrestleMania against one another in that tag match. It was Roddy and Orndorf versus Hogan and Mr. T. That was a huge
1: feud. And Hogan as the big baby face always ended up beating Roddy. You also never see the three-arm drop finish really ever.
0: No, very rare. Very rare. That was always the one where you would do it. And especially with Hogan. I mean, you know, Hogan would they would do he would be in the he would Hulk. be in the heels move, and they would drop the arm three times, and then on the third, he would fire up, up, and then he would Hulk up and go at it. But, you know, and, and this time it drops. And, and so, like, the referee is kind of selling what all the fans are probably feeling at that time. Like, oh, shit, wait, Hogan lost. Hogan got put to sleep in the sleeper hole by Roddy Piper. So, like, why I don't feel like the match is really that good or that entertaining, like... The finish is pretty pretty interesting, and I can understand why, like, why it was over to the level it was, even though it wasn't personally my thing that I wanted to really watch. You know what I mean?
1: This is a clear moment of sports entertainment as opposed to wrestling.
0: Yes. So, hey, it could have been worse. Could have been worse. Could have been worse. Could have been worse. And, you know... We've watched a lot of WCW and we've seen a lot worse than pretty much everything on the show. I mean, you know, almost everything that we have here is, you know, there's there's good stuff in it.
1: There's nothing you know, egregiously like, bad.
0: Yeah, there's that's the thing. There's nothing egregiously bad on the show, which is a big compliment because almost every wrestling show that has ever existed. You can find something egregiously bad,
1: <laughs> but not really this one. It's pretty good. I mean, it really I'll, t- is. I'll tell you what, it's all out. Actually, no, all out 2021 had uh, QT, Marshall, and Paul White. Yes, that match sucked. <laughs> I mean, I, you know,
0: I, I, you have to say it, I did not really like that match. That was the one thing, but that was, that was, they, they knew that was the piss break match.
1: <laughs> they had they to do everyone,
0: it. Because they put that between MJF and Jericho and, and the main event. So it's like, okay, you know, we just gone on this incredible emotional journey for like two and a half hours and we know everyone's going to lose their fucking shit everything that's going to happen in the main event. So let's put this match right here. <laughs> and you can all go to the bathroom and get another beer and just kind of decompress for a second. We
1: shall release you from your shackles. Yes. Like we will it, release, the fa- we'll release the people from the shackles of the podcast with... Yes. Uh, speaking of, let's go to our two and a half marks. Angelo. All right, half mark. I have to do it for Jake. It's going to Dusty because whenever Dusty's on a show, he has to get marks. And I loved,
0: the- <laughs> I loved Dusty just ranting and raving this whole show. He's fantastic.
1: <laughs> like even like even if this wasn't the obligatory Dusty marks, like the guy is tremendous on commentary because you can tune him out pretty easily because he's not like shouting his head off and just enjoy what the match is. And if there's ever a lull, you tune back in to hear what Dusty's saying with Shivani, and it's just fantastic because Dusty's on some. Tangent that maybe doesn't have anything to do with the match, but it's just Dusty-isms, and they're always fun to listen to Dusty-isms.
0: Like, Dusty and Roddy are both not making sense, but I enjoy Dusty not making sense way more than Roddy, because Dusty's not, like, the focus screaming at me through the camera, you know what I mean? Like, he is in the background, like you said, you can kind of tune him out. And then just like, hey, I want to hear what Dusty has to say. And (laughs) he's just speaking some complete
1: nonsense.
0: But, like, it's fun to listen to because it's fucking Dusty. Like, he's the most entertaining man who ever lived.
1: Tremendous storyteller. Uh, Negative half mark is the same guys running in multiple times on a night. So we have the Outsiders in match five. They interfere with the next match, DDP and Guerrero. And then they come back out at the main event. You have the Giant, who faces Luger and then comes out during the main event right after his match that he lost. Like make it make sense, please. Like these guys should be wounded animals. They shouldn't really, they should be licking their wounds. They should be in the back. Like if you want to have national hall come out for the main event after not appearing after their match, fine, but they've already appeared once. Like, what are you doing here? This is just stupid. It's pathetic. Honestly, and it just doesn't work. If you're going to do that too, and this again, it's kind of like the same issue I had with The Shield when they debuted. Like, I remember kind of still being a mark watching The Shield. I'm like, these guys just constantly interfere with matches, and it's annoying. Like, interfere once, and then that's it. Or if you want to interfere in multiple matches, okay, we're going to have Nash come out this time. Next match, okay, now we're going to send Hall. Oh, this match, we're going to send out six. Like, te- again, tease it out. You have all these guys. You don't need all the numbers all the time. One guy's enough. We've seen that in wrestling before. You don't need everybody all the time. So, same the mul- same guys running out multiple times for interference. Negative mark. And then my two marks. It's going to the DDP Eddie match, man. Like, even with the finish being interference, the chemistry those two guys have is just fantastic. They're playing in the crowd perfectly. They're playing their roles perfectly. Uh, even though the match ends with, like, chicanery, like, Eddie doesn't see it. And so Eddie's just seeing DDP on the ground. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm still going to hit him with a frog splash. I'm not going to just go in there for the cover. I'm going to hit him with my move and get the win. Like, it's just such a good match. And I honestly, it went 15 minutes. It could have gone 20, it could have gone 25. I was engaged the entire time. Again, just two fantastic workers in the ring. And you just have to really appreciate it when you see two guys on that level. And they just delivered on a note that is rarely hit
0: absolutely this period of eddie like
1: 95 96
0: to me i believe was his peak as an in-ring performer he was just so great it is every way he was so great so i'm gonna give my half mark to the giants not for uh you know what he did in his match although i was impressed in his match by what he was able to do uh for the roddy piper match Holding Roddy up that long... I mean, you know, if you're doing a chokeslam like that, obviously, like, Roddy is posting on him. Roddy is, like, giving him a jump and posting on him and, like, helping him out. But at the end of the day, he's still holding a full-grown man up there for, like, five times longer than he was supposed to because they had to wait to get this asshole out of the ring. And I respect... I mean, listen, it's a nice, nice show of strength from the Giant because Roddy was not a small man. So good on you, dude. You made it work. Congrats. I'm going to give a negative one mark to most Roddy Piper promos past like 80. I mean, like really after his like first retirement and then when he like went off to do movies, like all of his promos, not all of them were as bad as this one, but they're all kind of like man screams at camera and you don't know what it's what why he's yelling
1: old man screams at cloud
0: they're almost all like that and like ronnie is considered one of the great promos of all time and honestly rightfully so especially if you listen to stuff in the 80s and and before like you know portland and all that stuff he was like a legendary promo but like he certainly had a lot of those ones that just made no goddamn sense and it's like Buddy, I want to be there with you. Just give me something to work with here. And so that's going to bring my two marks to uh, my favorite move, the Northern Lights Bomb. I love seeing Hakuto pull that one off. Uh, Ridge Holland is doing it now. It's a great move. It looks devastating, but it's also really safe because the way you tuck the guy's head and you sit out. Uh, You're the one taking the brunt of the move. Like, you're just kind of landing and taking a bump. It's uh, it's great. I think it's really cool. And I just, I I got excited seeing it because no one did it better than Akira Hakuta. So that will wrap up our coverage of WCW Starcade 1996. So that will bring us to our last order of business. I'm going to hit the randomizer and see what we're going to be watching next week. Hopefully, uh, Jake will be here freaking dickhead skipping out <laughs> on us this week. Uh as I pull this up, what do you want to see, Ange?
1: I haven't asked for a few weeks. I'm just kinda in the mood for it, but I'm in the mood for anything also really good. Let's get a pandemic pay-per-view. Why not?
0: Why not? Let's just let's just do it. You're not gonna get that. We're going back to WCW, babies and gentlemen, and we're fast forwarding a couple years to when it was bad again. <laughs> no. We are good but this is actually gonna be kind of cool. We're going to be watching WCW Road Wild 1999 live from the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, oh. in Sturgis, South Dakota. There's always a very, they did a few of these uh, Road Wild pay-per-views in Sturgis. Um, and this is the first one we've had on here. But just a very interesting and unique setting for a wrestling show.
1: I'm just getting real, I'm getting like Jericho Cruise vibes. Yeah, like a much, much,
0: much trashier Jericho Cruise.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at Um, although I'm looking at the uh, Jericho Cruise with hepatitis C. (laughs) I'm looking at the uh, poster and the whole thing is supposed to be a road that leads into Goldberg's mouth. Yeah, the road that leads into Goldberg's mouth. so
0: bad. And we get a Dennis
1: Rodman singles match on this show. No, you're lying. No. Dennis
0: Rodman is in an 11-minute singles match with Macho Man Randy Savage.
1: Jesus Christ! Uh, we have ICP back.
0: Yes, ICP is in this. ICP actually wrestles. I have a lot of respect for ICP because those guys actually love wrestling and they try. They gave it. A, they always gave a good effort. You know what I mean? They respected the business.
1: It's funny I now because now with them appearing a second time, they have now appeared uh, more often than half the guys that we've ever talked about on the podcast.
0: Well, I mean, listen, those guys actually, like, made an effort to, like, wrestle. You know what I mean? That's true. They made an effort to be wrestlers, kind of. So, you know, they were around. They were famous. People love ICP, man. I mean, like, people are actually, like, a lot of people who like ICP. It's weird because, like, I mean, neither of us probably know any Juggalos, but they do exist.
1: I mean, isn't Ricky kind of a Juggalo, if you think about it? No, he's not. <laughs> I'll shit on him all day, but I'm not going to call him a
0: juggalo. <laughs> I will not. I will not bring that evil upon him. Magnets, how but do yeah. they work? Juggalos and juggalettes, tune in next week for WCW. Get yeah, Papa Fago and let, and tune in next week for Road Wild 1999 featuring the Insane Clown Posse. Dark Carnival unites next week on the Two and a Half Marks Podcast. So for my good friends Angelo and Glisa and not Jake along this week but hopefully Jake next week I'm assuming he's going to be there. My name is David Statman. Thanks everybody for this. Call.